I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, I want to dedicate this class to a very dear friend, Bluma Rissel Bas Sara. She should have a Rafua Shalema. And Fei Bas Rachel, Rafua Shalema. And to all of those who need a Rafua, there are so many. Um, but of course, you know, in our own tefillahs in the morning, we can say all of their names, all of those who are holy and should have a complete Rafua. Just a little thing I once learned that I love that, you know, we said um, that uh, when it comes to our health, when it comes to being grateful for all the little things that we can do and that we take for granted. Um, in another class, I talked about the miraculous mundane, but even in the Jewish word for wealth, ashir, you have an allusion to the simple things in life because it says, who is Ashir? Who is wealthy? The person who has their Anayim, right? For, for the Ayin of the word Ashir, their Shainayim, their teeth, their Yadayim, and their Raglayim. Okay, so just when you think of the word wealthy, right? Ashir, you can recognize that it's teaching us that we have to begin with the basics and recognize that, you know, when we have the basics to be able to go through life with good health. These are incredible gifts that the Ribbon of Shalom gives us. And of course, we only realize you don't know what you've got till it's gone. We only realize it when, you know, we're suffering in some way or another, um, you know, with those four things or other things, but um, not to take the miraculous mundane for granted. So we're going to start our class again with just a little bit about uh, Shmira Salashon. It's very convenient because my husband teaches it every morning and I say, okay, what did you say yesterday? Just tell me what you said and I'll teach it over. So uh, this is just a general idea, but it's very interesting. And it's basically the idea that when a person speaks Lashon Hara, they have to do tshuva. They have to in some way regret that they've spoken these words in order to come back to Hashem. But what if you didn't harm the other person at all? What if the words you said are things that everybody knows, or it certainly is not going to be something that harms them in any real way? You still have to do tshuva. So the answer is that you have to still do tshuva between you and Hashem, because you um, basically blemished your neshama by speaking these words, and your neshama, in essence, doesn't really belong to you. Your neshama is something that Hashem gave to you. It's your tselem elokim, right? You were made in the image of God. And by speaking Lashon Hara, whether or not it harmed another person or not, you've degraded and debased the one who gave you your tselem elokim. Or to go even further, you know, if you think about our neshama as a piece of Hashem that was given to us, as a gift that's not really ours, that we don't own it any more than we own our bodies, right? Then, you know, what right have you to blemish this neshama? So a nice uh, analogy to this would be somebody who, uh, you know, bought the Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci. 
and put it on display. But before they put it on display, they drew a mustache underneath her nose. Okay, so by doing something like that, you're obviously degrading the artist who made the painting. So this is the same idea about uh, why we have to do chuva, even if our Lashonhara didn't hurt anybody, because we're degrading the artist or degrading the one who gave us the power of speech. And like we said in other classes, you know, the greatness of a human being is the fact that we have articulate speech, the fact that we use our mouths to build worlds or destroy them. So that's why we have to be very, very careful about our speech. So. Let's keep that in mind as we go through our week. And of course, we're working on which goes together with being careful with what we say, what we hear, you know, graciously telling the other person, you know, I really don't want to hear about this if you don't mind, or changing the subject or walking away in some kind of group setting where you can. Obviously, we have to be careful how we do this. Um, but, you know, just being a little bit more aware of what we say and what we're listening to. And of course, I'm speaking to myself as well as everybody else. Okay, so going back to what we were talking about last week, that very amazing and interesting idea that Sneut, as we've said, is not only about dress, but encompasses a lot of different ways of behavior that all come under the umbrella of Sneut. And what we talked about last week was that, was communication, how you communicate, and specifically whether or not you've developed yourself into a good listener. And, you know, being a good listener is an art and it's a skill. And it's something we're going to talk a little bit more about at the beginning of the class. But we get this idea from Rabbeinu Yonah, and he's looking at, this, at uh, one of the places, one of the two places in Tanakh where it actually mentions the idea of tzni'ut. Again, the first was Micha, where he says, what does Hashem ask of you? What does he require of you? That you should do justice, that you should perform acts of kindness, and that you should walk modestly, privately, internally, if you like, with your God. So we said that, you know, tzni'ut is obviously one third of the Torah, according to Micha. It has to encompass a lot of different areas. So Rabbeinu Yonah comments on our second place where we have Tzniut, which is, which is in Mishle, where it says that the Tzniun have Chochmah, that if you want to acquire wisdom, you need this Mida, you need to develop this internality, this Mida of Tzniut, of wisdom, okay? Uh, sorry, of, of modesty. Of, 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 and, the, and Rabbeinu Yonah says, because this is the Mida of smart people. And why are they smart? Because it says that Tzanua person hears and listens, and he doesn't desire or crave the exposure of his own heart. And then, in other words, he doesn't have feel the need to talk. He doesn't feel the need to be figuring out what he's going to say while he supposedly is listening to the other person. And we said that talking and answering back and just, you know, that knee-jerk reaction or the fact that we're not listening, we're just getting ready to talk again, is actually a taiva, right? The same way somebody can't stop eating, the same way somebody, you know, God forbid, you know, can't stop their addiction of gambling. 
And we, we sense this because when we start to try and hold ourselves back from talking, when we decide we're going to be silent, the same words as listen, right? When we decide we're going to do that, we will experience a tremendous battle inside, right? And the battle will be, but wait, I just have to say this, or this is so important that I have to, but I have to tell them this because I need to make them wiser. I need to, you know, clue them in. But Rabina Yona is saying, no, if you want to be wise, you have to self-regulate. You have to be able to let the other person speak and just listen. That means get out of the way. Get yourself out of the way. You don't exist, right? You're just one big set of ears. You know, we had to write, we had to make a, a, a coaching picture of how we envision ourselves as a coach. So I don't think I have it here, but whatever. I, I just drew myself, but I drew myself with big, huge ears, right? I probably should have drew myself with tape over my mouth. My grade three teacher actually once taped my mouth shut in class. <laughs> me, me and this other kid. And he actually had the audacity to stick his tongue out as she was walking away. And somehow she saw it. So he, she came back to him and put another piece of tape over his mouth. Um, but yeah. So listen, again, some of us are natural talkers, right? It's our home air. Other people are naturally quiet. And they don't need to talk. My son once said to me, and I thought it was a great insight. He said, you know, the world is divided into talkers and listeners. And he said, and the talkers love the listeners and the listeners. I have one friend who I walk with and I'm always like, so what do you have to say? So what do you, she said, I, nothing. I don't have anything to say. I'm just, you know, and I'm like, well, like you really just, and she's just a listener. You know, people love her for that reason. I'm sure most of her friends are talkers, but she's, she loves talkers. You know, it kind of lets her off the hook. She doesn't feel the need to talk. And um, whenever she does, she's very wise and gives great advice, et cetera. But again, we're all very different. So we can't beat ourselves up over the fact that we may not be very good at listening, but we can try to develop that sni'ut, that internality that will make us wiser, right? And we gave different examples. We gave the example of someone who goes all over the place sharing an, an idea, sharing a recipe. And sure, it's wonderful. She's sharing with everybody. Everybody's got a new recipe because of her. But at the end of the day, she doesn't come home with any new recipes because the wise person, the smart person will ask everybody where they're going. So tell me a recipe. What's your favorite recipe? What do you make when you're crunched for time? And that person will become wiser, so to speak, smarter because they've come home with five recipes that day. So just to give, uh, you know, that image of the person who's going around and collecting wisdom, collecting, uh, you know, you know, my, I was talking to my son about this. He said he doesn't remember which teacher it was, but the teacher basically was saying this idea to the kids, which was, you already know what you know, you know, it's not a big zach to tell me something that you already know. I want you to come out of my class knowing things that you didn't know. And that is shtika, right? That is the ability to stay quiet. We said that, you know, Hashem touched us under here. The angel touches us 
we forget everything we know and our finger, our index finger fits perfectly in that spot to say, if you wanna reacquire that wisdom that you once knew, you need to work on shtika, on staying quiet. Okay, so let's see if there's another example of that. So this is a path to greater intelligence. And even when you're speaking to another person and you don't agree with them, and you know, which is very often, right? You don't agree with what you're, they're saying. You can't go along with it in your mind and you're ready to jump out and let them know. The way to become stronger and wise, the way to become wiser, the way to have greater intelligence is just to listen. So Dina Schoonmaker, Robinson Dina Schoonmaker gives an example, and I could probably give my own of this, of, you know, an ongoing topic of argument that she always has with one of her sons. <clears throat> it doesn't really matter what it is, but every time they discuss it, you know, he takes his position, she takes her position, and, you know, she tends to say, and, and what she says is she realizes that he's much more sni'ut than she is because she tends to get very passionate. She tends to get hot under the collar when they're discussing this. And as my son pointed out to me, yeah, well, she, you know, she's probably more emotional because women tend to be, not all women, but, you know, they tend to be more emotional. And that can also be a lack of sni'ut, you know, just kind of not being able to control one's emotions, not being in charge of one's internality, letting it all hang out. But what she said is that whenever they have this argument or discussion, she says, he always ends by saying, mommy, I really wanna hear more about what you really think of this topic. And whenever he says this to her with a very calm and cool way, she always marvels at the fact that he has a natural sni'ut even when they're discussing something that's a hot topic to both of them, not a hot topic, but like a, an issue that they don't both agree on exactly. So one of the ideas that we're talking about here, Rabbeinu Yona is talking about is being adaptable. Adaptability is something that human beings are very good at for the good and for the negative, right? Depending on who we're hanging around with, we adapt very quickly in terms of our surroundings and the people um, who affect us and influence us. So she says, you know, he, he, Rabbi Yona, Rabbeinu Yona is saying that we need to be adaptable when it comes to communication. We need to know when to listen, how to listen, and to speak not from a taiva, not from a reflex, not from a knee-jerk reaction, not because I've just got to talk, but we need to speak with intention, with precision, with, with thought behind it, right? And uh, an example that uh, Dina Schoonmaker gives is you see that some people are more adaptable than others. And one of the places you could see this is let's say when you're planning an event, let's say you're planning a wedding with the other side, right? So you see for yourself, in terms of you or in terms of who you're dealing with, how adaptable you are to other people's ideas and opinions. And the idea here is that, you know, part of it is being able to not crave the need to expose my opinion and myself 
unless it's something really, really important to me. So, you know, let's say you are planning an event and there are certain things that are non-negotiable for you. And it's really, really important to you. So, of course, you can have those few things, but then you also have to make way for the other person and, and allow them to also have, you know, and that's called being adaptable. Okay, um, so the idea too is being able to listen and then offer your opinion after you've really thought about it. To, to be able to, to allow that pause, to be able to allow that space. I remember when my kids were teenagers, the best advice somebody gave me was not to answer immediately, but rather to say those words, let me think about that right? You probably all have heard about that, right? Let me think about that. I'm going to think about that. Now that shows a control over one's taiva to just blurt it out, to just say it, to get it off me. And it shows that you're really listening to the other person. So, you know, we have to fake it till we make it. So these kind of things, let me think about it. Hmm, that's very interesting. Uh, you know, I never thought of it like that. And then, of course, just empathizing with the other person talking. And this is, you know, part of what Sarah Hannah Radcliffe talks about in her book, Raising Kids Without Raising Your Voice. Um, she says, you know, what, what I said last week that, you know, as Jewish mothers, we like to run in and solve problems. We like to soothe other people's feelings, especially our children or people in our family. You know, your kid comes home from school and, you know, something's happened where they don't feel good about themselves. Mom, I'm fat. I'm stupid. The teacher thinks I'm dumb. I don't have any friends. And immediately we rush in and say things like, no, you're not fat. You're beautiful. And what are you talking about? You're so smart. And, you know, as much as it's coming from a good place, we're shutting the other person down and they don't really feel heard. So. The idea again, and we've talked about this in other classes, but we can never talk about it enough. And it's part of the art of listening is to really validate other people's feelings. You know, it must be so sad for you to feel that way. And when you do that, what you're doing is opening up the other person's heart. And then they can hear and accept whatever's going on because you validated them. It's like holding their emotions and allowing them, you know, it's almost like you're mirroring and reflecting back to them. Oh, really, that's how you feel. That must be very painful. Tell me more about that. You know, Judy knows all this lingo over there, right? Tell me more about that. What do you mean by the word, uh, you know, betrayed or, you know, unlovable or whatever they're saying you know what do you mean by that allowing the person to really be able to flesh out what they're going through and just you know what they say in coaching holding space for them that's the greatest gift you can give another person you know and it's hard sometimes especially with people in our circle one because we already know, we already know you, we already know everything about you. You're not going to tell me anything new. 
right? I've got my words that I always say back to you and I try to speak sense to you and I try to explain to you and we, 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 we get defensive, right? And that's the type of wanting to talk and remove the discomfort that we're feeling. But, you know, there's a whole idea about emotions that if you, they don't last very long and if a person could sit with their emotions I can't remember how short a time it is. It's like supposedly less than a minute. Then actually they say that the wave of that emotion passes and it's a way of becoming wiser and less afraid of our emotions, right? And that's what we feel a lot of times. We answer, we fill that space with our own voice because we don't want to feel that discomfort or that, you know, or we feel, you know, defensive when the other person's talking, or we have to explain, we have to make them smarter, right? But they can't receive what anything that you're saying until you've really listened and validated. And that's the step that often doesn't, you know, that we're not very good at. So that's what we have to do. Um, okay, so how do we learn to listen better? Just an interesting idea here from psychology. There's different family styles. There's four types of family styles. So one of the ways we evaluate how we run our home is with something called the adaptability scale. So, you know, as Rabbi Rietti likes to say, what's the definition of a dysfunctional family, right? Any family with more than one member. Okay, <laughs> any family with more than one member. But, you know, for those of us who have more than one member in the family, um, so that means dysfunction times multiplied, um, whatever, to whatever number squared or whatever. Um, the point is, is that one of the ways that uh, they measure family dynamics is with this adaptability scale. And anything in extreme on this adaptability scale is problematic. So there's four different types of places on the scale. It's a continuum. So at the very extreme, you have rigid, right? Then you have structured. Then you have flexible. And then on the very opposite end, another extreme, you have chaotic, okay? All right. So, you know, some families are ruled by rigidity. There's a lot of rigidity in the family. And of course, that's an extreme that's not necessarily, that is not a good place to be in the adaptability scale. Everybody's walking around my way or the highway, or they've all decided how to figure that out with each person feeling that way about whatever their stance is. Okay. Doesn't work that well. Now, structured is a much more positive word than rigid, <clears throat> right? We think of a structured environment when it comes to schools and classrooms and, you know, a child needs structure in order to feel safe and secure. So that's a very positive word. And it definitely is the next on the continuum of adaptab adaptability. And then comes flexible. So we always think of flexible as a very good word. Right. When we want to describe somebody and we say, you know, they're a very flexible person, they're easily adaptable, they go with the flow, they don't have to have it their way, they can shift and change, 
you know, when needed. So there's flexibility. And then of course, on the very last end of the extreme of the adaptability scale is chaotic. And that's a family that runs with no boundaries, no limits, and it's way too flexible. Okay, so rigid and chaotic are not healthy. And where we wanna be in this adaptability scale is we wanna be adaptable and flexible because this is considered healthy. Okay, now I can make this work by just adjusting my schedule. Okay, by looking at my schedule and looking to make it more flexible when it comes to other people. So there are times, okay, so we're talking about adaptability being a positive thing. And these are the examples that we give, especially in a family structure. It's important to be adaptable and flexible within structure, but leaning towards flexibility. But there are times when it's not good to be adaptable. So when is it good to be non-adaptable? And that's when you don't want to adjust to negative things, either that are going on in your family or even in your community. That's, that's the positive aspect of being non-adaptable. You know, you can apply this also to Shmira Salashon, you know. I'm not, I'm not listening. I, I've decided that my standard is there's, I just don't listen to Lashon Hara, let's say somebody who's reached that madrega, right? That, that level of sensitivity to words and the damage that it does and wanting to only hear positive. So when you decide in your mind, you know, this is my boundary. I don't go beyond this. So that's a good way of being non-adaptable. And even if everybody else around me is doing this, I can't adapt. I will not adapt when it comes to this. So these are people who fight things in society that need to be fought. These are people on a grander level, right? That say, this has to change. I'm not going to let this go until I make sure that there's changes here. And, you know, talking on a big scale, obviously, these are very motivated people who make society change around proper ideals. But generally speaking, we want to be more flexible with human beings, and we want to be more flexible with Hashem. Now, what does that mean to be flexible with God? What do we mean by that? So, you know, it's like sort of what this, I have this uh, saying on my fridge, I don't even know where I got it from, but I really like it. And I try to live by it. And it's the idea that Hashem always does the best to those who let him. Okay? To those who allow him to take them there. There's a certain flexibility. There's a certain bowing of one's head. There's a certain of recognizing that if things don't go exactly the way we want them to, maybe there's something better down the road. Maybe it's because we don't know. We don't have the big picture. There's a famous story about the Chafetz Chaim, the rabbi who wrote uh, all of the works regarding Shmir Salashon. He was once speaking to one of his neighbors and they were just, you know, casually chatting. And he asked his neighbor, how are you doing? How are things? And the neighbor said, you know, they're Beseder, they're okay, but you know, they could be better. It could be better. 
And uh, the Chafetz Chaim said to him, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, it could be better if um, I had a better Parnassa, if I was making a little bit more money. And the Chafetz Chaim turned to him and he said, how do you know? How do you know it would be better? <sighs> anyway, you know, we can apply this to everything in our life. You know, maybe it wouldn't be better, he was saying. Maybe, you know, you'd have other problems instead of this one. Maybe Hashem would have to offset it with something different. You know, God forbid, you know, your son will run off with the shiksa. I don't know, whatever it is, right? Shouldn't say that. Uh, you know, but but we all have our nisayonos and maybe God, you know, this is yours. So maybe this is, maybe it wouldn't be better. Maybe this is great. And you'd rather have this than something else, whatever it is. But the point is that, is that being flexible with Hashem, listening to what Hashem wants for you, Letting him lead you. And again, listening to others, listening to somebody who has a crazy opinion, right? Controlling your taiva, you know, about what it is that you think. Rather, staying quiet and saying, I want to be a chacham. I want to be a wise person. Who is the wise person? The one who learns from every person. And I want to hear how you got to where you got to. How did you get to this type of thinking? How, what life experiences did you have that brought you to this kind of an opinion about things? Right? But we get defensive. We get nervous. We get overcome by our own emotions. And we don't become wiser. And we say what we already know. The chacham, the tzni'um, the, the, the wise people are the tzni'ut because they're willing and able to learn from other people. Okay, so back to really our homework. Well, it's our homework sort of from last week, but we're adding to it this ability to be adaptable in communication, to really listen, and to realize when you're really listening, you're being sanua. You're covering your ego. Right, we said the definition of being sniut, and we said that you know the way we dress, whether it's female or male, is a way of covering our ego. It's about, it's an expression. We want our outside to be an expression of our internality, right? Because we said, especially with women, women are naturally made into objects and always have been since the beginning of time. <clears throat> Since the Nachash <clears throat> desired Chava in the Garden of Eden, right? The story of the snake coming and uh, hitting on Chava, the rabbis tell us he desired her. He lusted after her and he wanted to get rid of Adam. He wanted to get rid of her husband, right? So it, from the beginning of time, women are beautiful and enticing and they have that extra measure of Sni'ut because they want to protect their internality, that they shouldn't be seen as a chaticha, right? In Hebrew, they call a chaticha, piece of meat, right? I mean, they say it like it is, what a piece of meat, you know? So we have that extra internality that is expressed through our dress. But as we said, and, and I want to just coin, say something that somebody once said, and I want to make this clear, it does not mean that you should not be attractive. And that you should not dress up that outer you to reflect that beautiful inside. 
Your outside should reflect your inside and it should be beautiful. And it's for public, right? Just like we say that, you know, when you smile, your face is not your face. Your face is public. So why should other people suffer just because you're feeling lousy, right? Your face is public property. So too, when it comes to dress, a woman is supposed to dress beautiful, but she's supposed to dress with this idea in mind. I want to be attractive, but I don't want to be attracting. And there are certain women, you know, in our community and even outside our community that you just see the dignity of the dress and they can be very beautiful. And there's a certain sense that they have taken on this mitzvah as theirs, that they're beautifying it almost. They want to look regal and aristocratic and noble. And you see the reflection of the inside on the outside. It's not a distraction. It's not attracting. It's just an, an expression of their inside on the outside. And it, it's, it's, you know, it's, an, it's a skill. It's a skill. And there are some women who, who really like decide that's my mitzvah. That's what I want to do well. Um, okay, but back to this homework. So we're supposed to be adaptable. Really listen, cover your ego. Again, that's what sni'ut means, to cover your ego. And that means covering what you'd like to say, what's coming up for you, but holding it back and allowing the other person center stage, validating what the other person is saying to tell them I'm really listening to you, being curious about their position, about their opinion. Wow, that's so interesting. What do you mean by that word? Why do you, you know, what, what happened that makes you think that way in your life, right? Or you can be thinking that yourself and giving them the feeling that I really want to listen to you. And maybe you're going to make me more of a chacham. You're going to make me wiser, right? Through listening. It takes us out of our comfort zone. You know, we know what we know. And sometimes we don't want to learn new things, especially about the people closest to us. Maybe with our friends, we're more interested. We're able to listen better. But going back to that circle one, you know, we kind of have to like erase the slate and make ourselves new again and make the relationship new again and give the person that respect to be able to just listen. Okay, let's go on to a new idea. So again, basically tsanua, lehatsneya means to cover. Sneot is about covering the ego. I don't want to be affected by my ego. Ego. I don't want to be busy with my self-talk of what do people think of me? You know, how great do they think I am? You know, what do they think of what I'm wearing? What do they think of my shape? Especially right in a public, uh, when we're in at the wedding, right? And all we can think about is, you know, what are people thinking of me? Why, you know, what, what's going on? It's all about me. I'm the limelight. I'm the bride at every wedding. I'm the corpse at every funeral, right? It's all about me. You know, what should I say? Did I say the right thing? I don't know. Everybody's talking about me. Everybody's thinking about me. No, they're not, right? Um, but that's part of how we know where we are in terms of 
you know, being affected by our ego. So, um, you know, why am I doing what, I'm, what I do? Am I doing it to get brownie points? Am I doing it to get kavod from other people? Sneas means that I'm trying to do what I do for a higher purpose, right? For my own internal growth. So when we ask ourselves, what motivates me? What drives me? This will affect everything that I do. Now, you know, the idea of the VAD is to get in touch with our, ourselves, to really get to know yourself, because that's true wisdom. And to really check in with yourself and say, you know, why do I need to say this? What, what, why am I doing this? What is, that, what is it that I'm hoping to get from it? Do I want people to clap for me? Do I want people to bow down when they come into the room because of this great act that I did? right? Sneot, again, we said that the greatest acts, according to Judaism and Rabbi Meiselman's book, are those acts that are done in private. That's heroism. We have so many episodes in the Torah where the most, the greatest moments of our patriarchs and matriarchs' lives were those done in private. You know, the, the biggest example is Avraham and Yitzchak at the Akedah where they're going up and Avram is about to, you know, slaughter his son because God tells him to, and there's no audience. There's no, nobody there. And the two that are accompanying them, they tell them, stay here, don't come any further. You know, contrast that with other traditions, the Greeks and the Romans and the gladiators and everything. You know, the more people that see you do something, the more heroic it is. But we shy away from that, right? Who is the honored person? The one who gives honor to others. Not the one, as we would say in the non-Jewish way of thinking, well, the honored person is the one who everybody honors. He's the one who gives the most money and gets his name on the plaques. And obviously, that's the honored person, right? The one who can, you know, show people what they're worth and, and in a way that's not coming from the right kavana sometimes. Now, there's nothing wrong, obviously, with, and we're supposed to use our money to do for others and to, you know, build things. But it's always about intention. It's always about intention. Of course, only Hashem knows our true intention. And that's why Tzni'ut is walking with Hashem, right? God says, I ask one thing of you. Just walk modestly with me. Make me the center. Make me your number one audience. And if I'm your number one audience, you're going to do everything you do with proper kavanas, or at least you're going to know where you're supposed to be aiming. You know, would Hashem like my intentions here? Okay, my intentions aren't 100% pure, but they're getting better. I mean, we are humans. We are works in progress, Right. They're getting better. They're getting closer to the bullseye of why I do what I do. And again, the flip side of this is that sometimes we do things and other people don't understand it, or we might even get, you know, in trouble. But when we know that we've done it, because this is what Hashem would be happy with what us, what, with us doing it this way, then we say, you know what? I could try to explain to everybody else, but bottom line, I know that, what I'm doing is 
a good thing or bringing me closer to Hashem. And he's the only audience that really matters at the end of the day. So it's a continuum, okay? It's a continuum where we're working towards doing things low l'shem shamayim, not for the sake of heaven, but rather for the sake of devorah el, right? For my own ego, for my own sense of self. I have to say this. I have to do this. I'm getting brownie points. I want people to know how smart I am, whatever it is. And it's a continuum towards moving towards l'shem shamayim doing it for the sake of heaven, because this is the right thing to do. It's right for me to walk away from a group that's speaking Lush and Hara. It's right, Hashem would say, wow, good for you. That was so brave. That was a new level. Or if I can't walk away staying quiet, or if I can't not accept what they're saying, you know, say a mantra to my head like, I don't believe it. I There must be more to the story. Uh, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt while you're listening so that it doesn't, you know, that it doesn't enter your consciousness in the same way. So this is all these things that are, we're doing in private, you know. If you hold yourself back from eating something with a questionable hexure, only God knows your battle. Oh, forget it. It's probably fine. Everybody else is eating it, you know. I mean, I remember being so confused when we lived in Brooklyn. There were certain like kosher restaurants, you know, and 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 yet, you know, the hexure was questionable. But you would open the door to that restaurant, you would see all kinds of Hasidim eating there, you know, like like very from-looking people, right? And you think like, well, what do you mean? If it's good enough for those people, it's got to be good enough for me. So you know, it's about being real and honest with yourself. And of course, the more we win those battles inside ourselves, those the shame shamayim ones that nobody knows about, that nobody sees. I just held myself back from saying something and I really wanted to say it, you know? It's like saying, I really wanted to eat that piece of chazir and I didn't. I didn't say it. I mean, you know, in the laws of Shmir Salashan, it says, just like if somebody offered you chazir and you would say, what are you talking about? I don't eat chazir. That's forbidden. It says it's no different speaking Lashon Hara. But we don't think of it that way. Pah, I don't want that, right? But the point is, is when there's a battle inside, it means, it means a lot. It means that you're moving in the continuum up. And again, even just holding ourselves back from talking and not giving the other person space that's a battle that takes place within us. And we have to learn how to do that. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit more about this ego that gets in the way of not being sneer. So a lot of times the ego gets in the way, especially when we don't like somebody or we don't feel necessarily. Um... Well, I'll give you an example. Um so sometimes our ego gets in the way in the way we treat other people. In other words, generally I'm nice and I'm helpful, but because that person, you know, broke off the engagement with my cousin, I'm not going to sell them matzahs at Pesach time or sit next to them in shul. Okay. So, you know, we all have our own little revenges against people who've hurt us, or, you know, even if it's not us directly, we heard about them hurting somebody who's related to us. 
So all of a sudden we feel differently towards them. So this is part of the ego getting in the way, okay? And I'm gonna explain this more. It's not such an easy idea at all. And I was even wondering whether to bring it up, but I'm going to try. So the idea is you're not allowed to let your ego get in the way. You know, you have a kid in your class in school and you really don't like their parents. So, you know, you have to be very careful because right away we know that you're gonna be biased against the kid, right? So this is, a, this is called having the ego get in the way, which again is another subsidiary of Sni'ut. Somebody who knows how to cover their ego, who's in control of their ego, doesn't allow these kind of biases to color their behavior towards people. And this is a high level. We're talking about a high level, okay? You know, you don't like the parents, so you don't want that child in your class. You're basically saying, I don't want to teach this kid Torah. Let's say, let's say if it's a rabbi who has some kind of, you know, uh, nikama grudge that he hasn't worked out because of the parents. Now, obviously, this is wrong. Um, unless, of course, there's a really complicated situation behind this. So actually, um, Dina Schoonmaker tells a really... Um, interesting story to, to express how this happened to her once. And it, it's amazing how she responded. So basically, well, look, we're very close to the end of time. Okay, so I want to get this idea. So basically, she said she was once invited to a Shabbaton in her neighborhood, and they were inviting non-religious people together with religious people to this little sort of Friday night Kabbalah Shabbat at somebody's house. Anyway, these group of religious women were waiting for, you know, non-religious people to show up because that was the whole idea. Meanwhile, nobody showed up for like, anyway, and they were just about to, to, to leave and go home and go, you know, for their Friday night dinners at home because this was just pre-Shabbat when all of a sudden this older woman showed up, Okay this non-religious older woman. So of course they started singing and they did the whole Shabbaton and this and that. And at the end of the whole thing, she said that it was really beautiful. This woman started singing and she was enjoying the music and they were all holding hands and it was really nice. And then all of a sudden she had this and the woman was saying how much she loves the singing and Shabbat and it's so beautiful. Anyway, she said all of a sudden she had this um, like insight and horrific recognition of who this woman actually was okay and and while she's having this recognition this woman's holding on to her hand and singing and so into it right and she realizes all of a sudden who this woman is okay so the backstory is this that she said you know we had no apartment we were marrying off our first kid and we were desperately looking for a place to live and she said, and we found this beautiful apartment. It was perfect. It was, you know, in the neighborhood. And we were just about to take it when one of my friends who lives in the neighborhood said to me, you don't want to take that apartment. Okay. And she said, what do you mean? And she said, you don't want to take that apartment. There's a woman who lives in this building who is going to make life Gehenna for you, hell for you. Okay, she hates religious people and she'll do everything and anything to just make your life miserable. I'm telling you, I know from other people that live in the building, I don't know exactly what she does, whatever it is. I, I don't, I, she doesn't say the particulars, but you don't want to take it. 
So she said, based on this, they literally gave up the apartment. Okay, they didn't take this perfect apartment because we all know if you have a really bad neighbor, it really can make your life miserable, right? It's not worth it. Um, anyway, so uh, she said, <clears throat> she realized that this was the woman that came to the Shabbaton that was hanging onto her hand. And of course, she'd already found a different apartment and they were settled. But you can imagine the feelings that she's feeling while she's holding on to this. Oh, I love Shabbat. It's so wonderful. And singing along with her and everything else. And she's thinking, you know, it's because of you that I, I didn't live where, I, you know, you made my life more difficult because I had to keep searching, right? And have that agony of not knowing. But she said to herself in her mind, and again, this is the struggle that only Hashem sees. She said, she did me a disservice. No, she said to herself first, she said, you know what? This has nothing to do with you. You came here tonight to help people to appreciate Shabbat. And this woman came, okay? She says, this has nothing to do with what we call Natira. You know, you did this to me, so I'm going to do this back to you. Or you didn't give me that, so why should I, you know, but I'm going to be nicer than you. No, this is what Natira is. Natira is, you know, you... I asked you to borrow a cup of sugar and you said no, but I'm not like you. I'm going to give you a cup of sugar. Okay, that's something that's not allowed in Judaism. You're not allowed to say, even in, you know, to the person, I asked to borrow your lawnmower and you said no. And now you're coming to ask, to, you have the chutzpah to come and ask to borrow you know, my uh, shovel? Well, I, yes, I will give you my shovel. You know why? Because I'm not like you. Okay, you're not allowed to do that. So Dina said it wasn't that she was saying, you know, I'm not going to be like you who ruined my chances of getting this apartment. I'm going to be bigger and better than you. And I'm going to, you know, hold on to your hand and keep on singing with you. She said it was about, you know, it wasn't about you were not nice to me, but I'm going to be nice to you. Okay, because that goes against bearing a grudge. Rather, the way she felt was, she did me a disservice, but why should I not cover my ego and do what I have to do? I'm here in Hashem's world to serve him. It's not about me and how I feel. Wow. Okay. So the idea here and the wider application of this is a very interesting idea that I never really heard before, but it does come up, is that other people's spiritual growth is important. And you'll never hold back another person's ability to grow spiritually because you don't like them. In other words, let's say, you know, a Jew who eats not kosher all the time, right? Let's say, you know, you have, you know, I don't know, somebody left a pork chop in your fridge and you say, oh, I'll give it to, you know, I'll give it to uh, Rift, I'll give it to, you know, uh, Tyler over there. I mean, I know he's Jewish, but like, who cares? Like he eats this stuff all the time, you know, so I'll give it to him. So what's the big deal, right? So the idea is, is that a sneered person the ruchnias, the spirituality of the other person is also important to them. 
And even if it's somebody who it's not even important to themselves, they're going to have a sensitivity to that. So how does this manifest itself? And I'm just going to end with this because we did start a little bit late and I do want to get this, this, um, this idea out to you. The idea is, is, um, you know, there are some people that you might say, I don't really care about them. I mean, they're not nice people. And, and right now we're talking about Jewish people, you know, or even a child in your own family. You don't have a natural affinity towards them, let's say. So you might say, I don't care. Let them do what they do. Let them do that, you know, bad thing or that avera or whatever it is, because I don't really care. So this idea of Sneot here is saying that we can't let our ego get in the way of how we feel about other people. So what Dina Schoonmaker says is she says, you know, there's ch a child you have a natural rapport with that's easy to deal with, but what about a harder child? And as a mother, you have to say, I'm also responsible for their spiritual life. Now, your ego might say about that kid, forget about him. You know, he's too hard for me. I can't communicate with that kid. So when I pick or choose who I'm going to facilitate more, because one kid is easier and one kid is harder, it could be sometimes that it's because my ego's getting in the way. That kid doesn't make me feel good. So I don't want to do for them, right? It's my ego. That kid, on the other hand, makes me feel good. So I'm going to do way more for them. So we have to be careful. Again, sometimes, obviously, there's educational re reasons for doing more or less for a kid, you're trying to teach something. But when it's just coming from the emotion of ego, we just have to, again, go inside internally and say, you know, what's making me behave or think the way I'm thinking? Because the idea here again is, you're responsible for another person's spirituality as well, not just their physical. Am I holding back something that I could do because of ego or, I, or am I doing the good act because I'm looking for recognition and acclaim or because the other person makes me feel good when I do that? Okay. So, so one last idea of this, and then we're going to stop. So there's where in the Torah so, so in the Gemara, there are more places where it talks about Sneas, okay? We said in the Torah, there's only two places. But in the Gemara, there are many places. So I just want to leave you with this example of this idea that we just said to sort of make it clearer, because it's not an easy idea. So there's a Gemara in Bava Kama, which talks about basically the status of a vineyard. It's going to be Shemitah this year in Israel. So we all know that during the time of Shemitah, you're supposed to leave your land alone. And actually, your land becomes hefker, meaning it's, it's not yours anymore. You don't own it. So anything that's growing in there, basically, other people are allowed to come and eat from it. Okay? Everybody get that? Okay, so not to get into that too deeply, but basically, you have people who come and eat from it because your field is open to everybody. And the Gemara talks about that you want these people to know that the grapes that they're taking from your field have already been redeemed because redeeming your field is part of the mitzvah 
of Meister and of, you know, so you want these people that are coming to eat from your field to know they're not doing a sin from taking from your field because you've already redeemed it, okay? Now, during Shemitah, you have a vineyard and, okay, so, so that's for a different, uh, so that's a vineyard, the status of a vineyard in the fourth year. The fourth year, three, okay, so, so Shemitah's for seven years, right? You leave your land for seven years, okay? So the, the, for the first three years, nobody's allowed to eat from it. But on the fourth year, um, you're allowed to eat from it, but you have to redeem it, okay? Sorry, that's, you know what? I'm making this too complicated. Hold on a second. Let's just say this. You have this field, you have the grapes, and there's somebody who comes to eat from it at a certain year where he's considered a robber now. He's not allowed to eat from your field. But it says in the Gemara um, is that, you know, the natural thing would be to say, I don't care about him. He's doing an Avera. He's stealing from my field. And so let him be punished for what he's doing. I can't do anything about it because my field is Hefker, but still he shouldn't be stealing. He's stealing from it. So basically, um, what that person is supposed to do, who's at Sneot, it says, what a Sneot person would do, he would leave coins there by his field and say, if anyone happens to eat from this vineyard, I want them to know I've already redeemed the vineyard. So in other words, he's letting those people who are taking the fruit um, legally, that you can take it and I've already redeemed it. But when it comes to the robber, which is a different year. I'm sorry. I'm, I know this is confusing. When he's when nobody's allowed to take, but he comes and takes just because he wants it. The sneered person will still put out the coins, or put a sign and say, you know, this vineyard has been redeemed. So what what what's the point of this? What's the point of this Gemara? It's saying this guy's a robber. This guy's stealing from you, and yet somebody who sneered is not going to want them to have an Avera that their spiritual life will be damaged because of them. So they're going to do everything they can to kind of make it legit. And the way that, you know, she describes this, it would be like leaving a note for a robber that's coming to steal something in your house, leaving a note for him at the front door or the back door saying, careful, don't touch the socket because you might get electrocuted on the way out of robbing my house, okay? So you're worrying about that person's spiritual, you know, cheshbon. You don't want them to have an avera because of you. There's a famous story about the Chafetz Chaim again, where somebody came into his house and stole his silver candlesticks. And the person was running down the street with the candlesticks. And of course the Chafetz Chaim saw him and the Chafetz Chaim was yelling after him, they're yours, they're yours. I'm giving them to you as a gift. They're your candlesticks. Again, because a great person, a tznu'im, covers their ego and is more concerned about the other person, even the other person's spiritual life, that they don't want them to be the cause of them having an avera. I know this was very circuitous and I don't understand a lot about the Shemitah part, but the idea is that this person, the Snuim, would put a sign up for the robber saying, 
don't worry, I, I, I made it good for you so that if you take it, it won't really be like stealing, even though it is stealing. But I fix things up for you so that you shouldn't have it. And you know, what we even have this, I just want to tell you this, because this is so interesting, that especially on Shabbos, and especially in Israel, but even in the neighborhoods, if you live in a very dense uh, religious neighborhood, but there's obviously non-religious Jews around you. We actually have a halacha where if you're walking in the middle of the street on Shabbos, you move out of the street because you don't want the driver who might be Jewish, okay, to have to press on the brakes of his car because of you. Okay, but he's driving a car. He's Machal Shabbos. He's not keeping anything. What do you care? This is the sensitivity of what we're calling this type of sneut. It's worrying about other people's spiritual life. It's saying, I don't want to be the cause of them doing another, of, of doing a, a, an Avera because of me. I don't want to facilitate it, right? If I put that sign outside my field that says, don't worry, I've already redeemed it, right? I've already done what I needed to do. So you're not really a robber anymore. He won't be stealing. Now, why wouldn't you do it in the case of the robber? The only reason you wouldn't want to do this is because you're angry at the robber, right? It's because you're saying, how dare you? You can't come into my field and take at this point, it would be your ego saying, I don't care about him. Let him do Averis. Let him do a lot of Averis. Let him burn in hell, right? Right? That's the way we would naturally think. But the, the Gemara is saying that's your ego talking. So the idea is my general principle of caring about Jews and not wanting them to sin because of me is something that's important to me. It's something that's part of my tzni'ut. Okay, um, I tried. That was an attempt. That was moving out of my comfort zone. I hope it was clear. It's not a simple thing, but again, it's the idea of checking yourself and going back to one's ego. What's motivating me? Is it revenge? Is it grudge? It's you did something wrong to me or somebody in my family or somebody that I know, and therefore... I'm going to not care about whether you do even more of eras or rather is your spiritual life important to me? And even if what you did was wrong, I'm not going to add or facilitate for you to do more of era. I mean, obviously this is a very high level. This is somebody who's very evolved, but I wanted to just put it out there for us to recognize how incredibly um, beautiful our Judaism is, how wide this concept of sni'ut goes, that even caring about people who, like you would say, listen, they're going to do it anyway. Who cares? You know, they're not nice people. I, you know, they don't make me feel good. They did something wrong to me. But the sni'ut person is somebody who says, I don't want to be the cause of them doing even more wrong because you know, I care about them. I care about their spiritual, you know, balance, checks and balances. Okay. Any comments? Any, anything 